All right, good morning. Go ahead and turn to John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we come now to the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And I'll begin reading in verse 37, and I'll be reading through all the way to the end of the chapter. It says, And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who is dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Do, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the, the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, Loose him, and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he, he did not... This, <laughs> this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on they plotted to put him to death. Therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, and went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. Lord, we ask for your blessing on our understanding, um, that as we see your, your wonders, we see your power, we see the mercy that you have on people, and the authority that you claim over death, and, and then we see um, the responses that people have to that, which isn't always positive. We pray for your mercy on us that your resurrecting power would be on us, um, that you, uh, being the resurrecting God, um, would bring us into the newness of life that Christ offers. Help us understand your word. Help us internalize these truths, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we won't be spending as much uh, time on those last passages here with the, the um, Pharisees and the chief priests, we've kind of seen their game before in John, and we're going to see it some more. We'll touch on a few things, but uh, of course the most notable part of this entire chapter, and especially this section, is that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. That's a big deal. Now the setting here is, um, well, it's somber, 
and it's really one of imperfect faith. Uh, if you had to kind of label the setting and, and the interaction that Jesus has with Mary and Martha, what we see is faith, but hardly. Um, it's, it's a faith that it's, it's, a, it's a weak faith. You, you see Mary and Martha's statement, if you had been here, well, then this wouldn't have happened. And they believe that Jesus is powerful, but they kind of don't believe that he's still in charge. You know, they believe that Jesus is theoretically capable of helping out, but they do not believe that he is king, and, king of kings and lord of lords and has orchestrated this very moment to display his power over death. And we see that sort of setting, the imperfect faith, in verse 37, where we begin our, um, our text. Verse 37 says, And some of them said, Could not this man, who opened the eyes of the blind, also have kept this man from dying? Uh, so you see, there's a hint of doubt, but it's, it's a dose of faith, too. It's, it's a kind of faith. You know, they say, you open the eyes of the blind. This guy did a lot of cool things. Don't you think he also should have been able to do this? It, it reminds you again of the prayer, one of my favorite prayers in Scripture, where the father of the paralytic comes to Jesus, and, and Jesus says, if you believe, and he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, I'm a mixed bag. And we, we kind of all uh, come to God with that same realization that it's like, I, I have some faith. I wouldn't be talking to you if I didn't have some faith. But I'm also aware of a whole lot of doubt. I believe, but help my unbelief. Um, I, I tend to think that this statement is uh, a, a little more than that kind of doubt that wishes it had faith. Uh, John likes to give clues. This is something we've seen in John. He's very careful about the words he uses. Sometimes he uses words with dual meanings, uh, almost, uh, and it seems like he, he's intending to do that to give you two angles of one statement or two layers of one statement. So he likes to give some hints and some clues and everything. Um, it's kind of the way like he, he used the word Jews in um, this passage, which is not necessary. They're all in Israel, right outside Jerusalem. Jesus is a Jew. Mary and Martha are Jews. All the 12 disciples are Jews. Like it, It's not really necessary to define them by that label. But because the disciples had, had said in verse 8, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. Are you going there again? He again identifies the Jews in this passage as those who are coming against Christ, wishing him to be dead. Uh, same kind of thing going on right here in verse 37. It says, some of them, some of them, in verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? So you have some people in verse 36, I seeing that Jesus is loving. He, Jesus weeps and he weeps over the grave of his friend. And there's a part of the crowd that sees Christ's love. And then there's some of them in verse 37 that see what they deem as Christ's weakness. And this is, uh, again, a clue that, that John repeats here. You see the words, some of them here. If you look forward into verse 30, what is it, 33? No, where well, that's backwards. Uh, let's see, verse 46. Um, verse 45, it says, Many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him, but some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. So he's, he's doing a, a, a split each time. There's some who see Jesus as loving, and then there's some of them, that's the word he uses, some of them that say, couldn't he have kept him alive? 
Then later, there's some Jews that believe in the things Jesus did, but there's also some of them that are just tattletales. <laughs> so these are connections that John is mindful of, that he's, he's showing us. And that, so there's the crowd here that is witnessing Jesus, and their idea is, well, sure he did that, and I guess that's pretty cool, but why couldn't he do Y? And sure, he did X, but why, why couldn't he do Y? As it, if it were re required to act according to a formula. Um, and this is, of course, the wrong way to encounter Christ. And Jesus is going to show them something, and we'll see that they, this does not produce faith in them. They go to the Pharisees and, and tattle. Um, so there's an imperfect faith. There's some people that see that Jesus is loving. There's other people that see Jesus as weak. In verse 38... It says, then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. There was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Now, once more, repeating from the, on the themes of last week, Jesus not only defeats death, uh, but he validates suffering while death stands. Uh, he, he took all the innocent infirmities of our nature, was what, the way Spurgeon described it. Jesus comes again groaning in himself. He is grieving for what is about to happen. Um, th this kind of groaning is described as a, a prayer of the Spirit in Romans. How the Spirit, you know, uh, prays with us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And Christ here as praying, 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 is groaning within his spirit. He's moved beyond words uh, in his desire to make death defeated, to make life the focal point once more. Um, so Jesus comes, he's, he's sorrowful. Back in 30, verse 35, we saw Jesus wept. And then verse 39, he says something pretty alarming that no one in the area would have been really comfortable with. Um, probably wouldn't have taken him very seriously either. Jesus said, take away the stone. That's not a good idea, Jesus. Uh, this is what everyone around here is thinking. They know how death works. They know uh, what happens to a body after it's been dead for a while. And, and Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Now the word dead there is in italics. Um, we suggested last week, you know, he's been in the tomb four days. That doesn't necessarily mean he was dead for four days. Could have been longer than four days. But let's just say it was four days. Um, she says, by this time there is a stench. And this is everyone's favorite Old King James verse, right? It says, he stinketh. Um, by, asking, by asking this, Jesus is saying, take away the stone. He is inviting participation in his miracle. But this is a far cry from the first miracle where he turned water to wine. What was the participation there? Oh, just, you know, you're at a wedding and it's a party and there's music. Why don't you just go fill these uh, vessels with water? That would be great. You can wash your hands. Everything smells fine. It's okay. Well, he's been escalating, you know, his miracles here. Water to wine was pretty cool, but now he's going to raise the dead. And he's still inviting people to participate in his ministry. And they don't want to. The participation is remove the stone from in front of this dead and rotting body. Now the kind of conversation here is, is somewhat typical. You know, you have um, when, when Jesus invites people to participate. 
with uh, his miracles. He, he says, you know, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And the fishermen say, well, we've fished all night. So there's that little bit of resistance saying, your idea seems like a bad idea to me. But at your word, I'll do this. And I think most of the times when, when Jesus tells, you know, the first part of his plan, which is all he gives, he gives the first part and then the participants, the disciples, the faithful, they say, you know, this does not seem like a good idea. That's almost universally the response of believers, our weak faith, our insufficient faith, saying like, yeah, I believe you, but this doesn't seem like a good idea. And Martha is saying, this is not a good idea. Um, she is saying, this is going to be ugly. This is going to be bad. Now, I don't have any experience in this field, so I had to reach out to an expert, someone who had had the misfortune of encountering uh, bodies at various stages. And so I, I asked an expert, and I, I said it was for, for church research, um, and they, they said emphatically that human is definitely the worst smell, that four days is definitely long enough to get the, get the effects of a really bad smell that you won't be get able to get out of your clothes or your hair or your house if that's where the body has been. He went into great detail, which um, actually made uh, almost his entire report back to me unusable for Sunday morning or polite society. But one emphatic point was made, never open the door. If a body is in the, has been in an enclosed space for four days, you do not want to open the door. Bad things are happening, and you will regret your decision to open the door. And Martha would agree with this expert opinion. She says, you do not want to open the door, Jesus. It's going to smell really bad. And by smell really bad, I mean there's going to be people that need to go to the hospital once they get close. And she says, don't, I don't want you to do this. I really don't want you to do this. And Jesus says, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Now, that sounds all beautiful and nice, and you're like, oh, back to glory. I'm so blessed to be in this Bible study. Okay, but is this the place you expect to see the glory of God? Jesus is saying, yeah, we're at a funeral. So already, that's not the kind of place that you would imagine encountering the holy living God in his glory with angels singing in golden streets and rainbows and everything like that. It's a funeral. But this is where the glory happens. Christ's first miracle was where? It was at a wedding. And that's great. But he's built up now to a funeral. And this is where the real stuff happens. But not only is it at a funeral where Christ is going to be glorified, where he's going to show the glory of God, but he says, no, that's not close enough. Because you know what? At a funeral, everything's still polished. You put flowers around everywhere. Okay, at a funeral, people... People mourn, and some of them are doing that just because it's socially expected of them. We're not close enough to the, the grit of the situation. No, we have to take away the stone. We have to go right to where the carcass is. That's where you'll see the glory of God. This, this is the kind of thing that the disciples and Martha and, and we would say, 
you know, this sounds like I believe you, but I don't all the way believe you. I believe, help my unbelief. He says, we have to get further. Didn't I say to you that if you would believe, and then he equates belief here with rolling away that stone. He says, you don't believe me unless you're going to go all the way to the, 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 the dead body here. Last week when we talked about Jesus weeping, and, and Jesus um, was, was troubled, and, and how in the Greek it, it literally means that he allowed himself to be moved. And he had a choice. He could have just choked back tears, put the strong face on, you know, stayed on this side of the emotional line, so to speak. But Jesus chose to enter into our entire human experience. And that includes grief. Um, the way I described that then was, you know, he, he sees you and he says, you're worth the headache. He, you're worth crying about. Even though afterwards, you know, after you ball your eyes out, you don't have energy to do anything left in the day. You're just kind of an emotional wreck and you're weak and you can't really cope. Uh, but Jesus says, you know, you're worth it. I'm going to weep about this. I'm going to weep over death. I'm going to mourn for sin. And this is, this is like the next level. Martha says, you don't want to get that close to the, death, the dead body. You don't want to encounter death when it smells. And Jesus says, the stench of your sin, the decay of your depravity will not stop me from encountering you. The stench of your sin does not stop Jesus. And he tells Martha, we have to go, we have to go further, Martha. We're going, we're going further. And Jesus says, I'm going to read 40 again. Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Now he did say this. He's referring back to their conversation in verse 21 through verse 27. I won't read the whole passage. You can glance back, but I'll read verse 26. And in John 11:26, he says, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And remember, that conversation, we kind of assume that Martha just took all of that as, as kind of sweet nothings, um, empty comfort, you know? <clears throat> Excuse me. How Jesus said, you know, your brother will rise again. She says, yeah, yeah, there's heaven. I get it. And he says, no, no, no. I'm saying that if you believe in me, you never die. Do you believe that? And, and she does. And in the moment, she says, I believe that you're the Christ. Yes, I'll, I'll believe you. But then now her faith is called to action. And Jesus says, take away the stone then. Do you really believe that the one who believes in me doesn't die? That's what I said, and you said you believed me. Do you? And, and he is calling her faith now to action. Faith means action. Faith is rolling away the stone. Martha had a, a weak faith. You know, I, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Like, that's about as much as I can give you. But, but Christ is developing her faith now into a living faith. And a living faith is an active faith. Faith is action. Faith without works is dead. Christ is resurrecting the dead. Um, and, it, and it looks like, you know, without Martha's participation, without Martha's faith put into action, Lazarus stays dead. Now, that's not necess necessary, of course. Christ had the power to raise Lazarus from the dead and just and open the tomb himself and everything. Christ could have done all of this without people, but he invites participation. That's what he does. Um, and and the, the analogy I always use, uh, kind of the, the picture is um, like kids in the kitchen. You know, ha having a toddler in the kitchen with you, that is not necessary for the production of a good meal. 
uh, but it's beneficial for the child and, and the parent, and it's, it's good. Um, faith to heal is an interesting thing in scripture. It shows up different ways al almost every time. You know, sometimes uh, it's un it seems unnecessary. You know, the dead don't have faith and Jesus raises them. Um, other times it looks like faith, or the lack of faith, excuse me, prevents the miraculous, like in Jesus' hometown. On this occasion, of course, Jesus didn't need anything, but if Martha didn't act in faith, then she would miss out. And that's where Christ is arguing from right here. He says, didn't I say that if you, say to you that if you would believe that you would see the glory of God. He says, I can, I can do this by myself, but you're going to miss out if you don't, if you don't participate here. Now, Christ isn't begging here. He's inviting. He doesn't say, please open the stone, or open the tomb, please roll away the stone. It's so big and heavy and I can't do it myself, Martha. Big, strong Martha needs to help Jesus. Like, that's not, that's not what he's doing. He's inviting, he's saying, no, you, you're going to miss it unless you obey me right here. You're going to miss the glory of God unless you take this step towards this thing that you don't want to encounter. You're going to miss it. I can do it all without you. Of course I can. But your obedience is what will give you the vision to see the glory of God. And your lack of obedience will prevent you from seeing the things that I want to show you. Martha would miss out. You know, we, we often think, we make the mistake of thinking that God is helpless without our faith or our work or our response you know, what we should believe is that God is always, always, always working. And I want to see it. You know, to, to you, Jesus says, of, if you believe, you're going you're gonna to see. And, and that, that, of course, seems backwards to most of us, to our, to our sensibilities. You know, we say, well, seeing is believing. And if I see it, then I'll believe. And that's kind of what the Israelites say throughout the wilderness wanderings, and then when they're talking to Jesus right here, well, if I see it, then I'll believe it. And Jesus tells Martha a different story. He says, if you obey, and that's what belief is, if your faith is put into action and you obey, then you will see. And what Jesus is offering, this vision, is, is a big gift. He says that Martha would see the glory of God. Now this should bring to mind Moses. You know, Moses who encountered God at the burning bush and had to take off his shoes. It was holy ground and he, he covered himself with his garment. Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights encountering God. He beheld God and then when the tabernacle set up the tent of meeting, uh, he would go there and talk to God as a man talks with his friend. And it says, face to face. And then, Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, no man can see me and live. You can't see my glory, Moses. But I'll, sh I'll give you a hint of it, and it's going to make your face glow. It's a great story, but Jesus is telling Martha here, at the door of a tomb, where inside there is a fly-covered body. And he says... If you believe, you're going to see the glory. You will see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone. Verse 41. 
Now, this is surely at Martha's command. Martha's the, the woman in charge here. That's why Jesus tells her to take away the stone, or why this interaction is with Jesus, or Jesus and Martha to take away the stone, because Martha is, is the woman of the house, and he has to get her approval, in this case, to roll away the stone. And so she says, I'll believe, I'll believe a little bit more. I'm sure it's still a weak faith, it's a half-formed faith, but it's a faith that obeys, and because of that, she is able to see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Verse 42, And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now Christ's prayer here is thanksgiving. Um, as a habit, it's good to begin your prayers with thanksgiving. It's not a rule. The Lord's Prayer doesn't begin with thank you, God, but it is a good habit, and it's modeled by Jesus. It's modeled by Paul, as when you see in the epistles how he prays for the churches. Um, and Jesus, he, he lifts up his eyes, and he looks up to heaven, and he prays to his Father, and he just says, thank you for hearing me. This is a, a, a picture of our intercessor here. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. And he's looking to God, but he's standing before an open grave. That's kind of our relationship with God. We're the people in the grave, right? That's not hard to see. Christ stands before us with our stench when we stinketh. And he looks up to God and says, thank you for hearing me. But notice the tenses. Notice the grammar here. He says, thank you that you have heard me. Well, when? This is his first word in the prayer, right? When did, he ha when did God hear him? It says, you have heard me. Um, well, it's, he's been praying for Lazarus probably since verse 3. Jesus has been praying uh, since the beginning of the chapter when he first received news that his friend Lazarus was sick. This isn't the prayer that raised the dead. This is a prayer. Jesus says, I'm saying this for the people standing by because they need to know that this power is from you. They need to know that you hear me. They need to know that we have this connection. This isn't the connection. This prayer that Jesus prays to his Father is not the prayer that raises the dead. That was praying and fasting since the beginning of the chapter, days before Jesus was in prayer when he learned about Lazarus' sickness. Jesus was probably in prayer, and it was probably through that prayer that he learned of Lazarus' death. Remember, he didn't receive a message from that. He just got that miraculously. Through prayer, he decided to wait. He saw the wisdom in God's timing, and he waited across the Jordan before coming. He had prayed all the way to the answer, all the way until he knew what God was going to do. Before he even opened his mouth to pray in public, he had been praying and praying and praying. And this is a principle we see in the ministry of Christ that we must learn to model. When Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration and he is encountered with that man who says, I believe, help my unbelief. The disciples weren't able to cast the demon out of his son. And they ask him, why weren't we? You'd given us authority. Why couldn't we do this great thing? And Jesus said, this kind only comes out by much prayer and fasting. 
Well, when you encounter a demon-possessed person that needs deliverance, when do you have time to fast? You don't, which means you have to do it beforehand. You don't have time for much praying. You have to have the power of God right then, which means you have to start praying beforehand. Christ had been praying long before he gave the command to open the tomb, take away the stone. You need to pray now. You pray now for the things that God is going to do later. You pray now because you know that you're going to need the prayers that you're storing up later. After days of prayer, now all Jesus has to do is say, thank you, you've heard me. I know you've heard me. I've prayed all the way to peace. I've prayed to resolution. And now, now he prays kind of evangelistically, really. He, he prays just to say, God, thank you for hearing me. And I'm, I'm saying this because they need to know. They need to know that you and I have this kind of relationship. They need to believe that you sent me. And there's, again, the reason for Jesus' waiting, why he was late to the funeral. Remember back in 15, he says, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. And now he's there before the tomb. The, the, the stone has been rolled back. There's probably less of a crowd now. Um, if, the, if Martha was right about the stench. And Jesus is saying, they need to believe. This is why I'm doing this. They need to believe. This is all for faith building. Uh, verse th 43, Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Um, <laughs> he shouts. He shouts at Lazarus. This loud, authoritative cry uh, would, would be a contrast to, you know, like a magician, like muttering and saying incantations. Like, there's no magic words here. There's no magic words. There's no abracadabras. There's Jesus speaking to a person that he created out of dust and imbued with an eternal soul. And he says, get up. That's the way Jesus heals. We said uh, last week again how Jesus' words create. You know, he, he made the universe with his words. And, and so his words have power. His words have authority. And Jesus cries out to Lazarus. And he proves to everyone within the sound of his voice that he is in charge. So he yells. I believe for the, for the benefit of the crowd. Now this is in contrast perhaps to you know, the still small voice that we read of in, in Kings with the story of Elijah. And, and God's still small voice isn't for the dead. There's a time for volume and there's a time for a hush. God is loud and God is quiet, all at the right times. Elijah was depressed. He was borderline suicidal. He was confused and he needed the quiet. He needed the hush, and God speaks to him in a still, small voice. Lazarus is dead, and he, he is asleep and needs to be woken up. God is loud and quiet at all the right times. And, and the first address here of Jesus in verse 43 is to the dead. Um, 
it's to Lazarus, and he tells Lazarus to get up. And then Lazarus does, and then the second command Christ gives is to the living. And both times demand obedience. Not that I, I don't think Lazarus really had much of a choice here in this matter, but he tells Lazarus to come forth, and Lazarus does. He who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. Bound hand and foot, that means he's, he's ridiculous. He's hopping out, wrapped up in a cloth. And, and he still comes out. And then Jesus speaks to the people around him, saying, loose him and let him go. Now, there is a picture here. He, he tells the living people to help the one who had been raised from the dead. Jesus does do what we cannot do. We can't resurrect. We can't save people. <laughs> you know, we can't call people from the grave whenever we want and have them raised from the dead, but Jesus does what we can't do. But again, he always invites our participation in just the little uh, detail uh, details that, the, that are included in the miraculous, like a toddler in the kitchen. Jesus does what we can't do, but he invites those around to do what they can do. Just unwrap the grave clothes. He says, loose him. You know, there, there's an, an evangelism cliche. Uh, you know, oh, well, we, uh, you know, we'll catch him and he cleans him. And the idea is, I don't know, it's there to combat legalism, I think, meaning, you know, Christ teaches people to be holy. Christ actually produces the new life. We just share the gospel and then get people to Jesus. But it's, it's, it's wrong because actually Christ does both. He catches and cleans right? He is the Savior and the Sanctifier. But practically, it would be better to reverse that cliche entirely. Christ saves souls. That is his doing a hundred percent. That's what he does. And then, you know what he tells his disciples to do? Is go and teach. Go make disciples, teaching them all things that I've commanded you. Go baptize them. And, and train and counsel, you know, that, that's our job. That looks a whole lot more like cleaning than catching, don't you think? But he says to Lazarus, come forth, Christ saves. And then he says to the community around the new resurrected soul, you loose him and then let him go. You have a ministry to the ones that Christ has saved. Now, note the difference uh, just in the uniform perhaps, uh, of Lazarus compared with Easter. He's bound hand and foot, and he has his, uh, a, a, his face is wrapped with a cloth. Now, on Easter, you know, when the disciples go into the tomb, the grave clothes are there, and that napkin, that, that cloth that would wrap around his face, is folded and put aside. Lazarus comes out of the tomb with the clothes that he will one day have to use again, maybe not this exact set, but Lazarus would die again. He's resuscitated. It's not wrong to say that he is resurrected. Um, but it's not really permanent. Lazarus would have to die again. With Christ on Easter, he rose from the dead never to die again. And that's why Christ has the grave clothes away from him. Lazarus comes out with these clothes on. Um, change gears, but not really. We see that death is defeated, and then what we see is a response. We see 
three options, really. Three options for how do you encounter the living God who makes the dead living? What do you do with a guy like that? What do you do with a story like this that shows a savior who defeats death? Well, the, your, your first option really is, is to believe. And this was the purpose that, of, of the whole exercise. Christ told his disciples in verse 15, I'm glad that I wasn't there because uh, I want you to believe. Um, verse 42, he had told Martha, do I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? In his prayer, he says, I, I'm praying this, Lord, that they may believe that you sent me. So the point of this story and the point of resurrection, this resurrection is to build faith. Just as John will say later on in the book, these things are written that you may believe. Um, so that's, that's the right option. But there's another option. There's actually two more. One is, is just to reject it. And that's what we see in the next, uh, you know, this next passage. It says, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. That's option one. But some of them, probably the same some of them that we saw in verse 37, some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. I don't think they were being evangelists right here. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do for this man works many signs? If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. They do not want people to be, have faith, and they do not want Jesus to be let alone to do these signs. Rejection is a real option. <laughs> Rejection of Christ is something that really happens. It happened then and it happens now. But why? Why did they reject this Christ who they see does the signs? They saw, but they didn't believe. Why? Because, verse 40, you, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. Um, the belief that leads to action, that leads to obedience, gives vision. They saw that their signs were done, but they didn't walk in obedience, so they were never able to see what was really there. The Pharisees had power, and they were unwilling to sacrifice it. And they were unwilling to worship. They were unwilling to sacrifice the form of godliness for the sake of the power of Christ. And they say that Rome is going to take away our place in our nation. The place would be the temple. The nation would be Israel. They kind of idolized um, their, their national identity, and they'd idolized the temple. Now you, you go back to John chapter 3, um, kind of a famous chapter. John chapter 3, verse 19, it says, And this is the condemnation. Men loved darkness. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light. And that's what we see with people who heard about the resurrection of Lazarus, but didn't have any love of Jesus. And then there's Caiaphas, and there's this interesting part where he says, Don't you know it's better for one person to die for everyone else? And this is... This is prophetic, but it's pretty much evil also. He's saying, well, let's kill him. We can just kill him. It's safer for everyone else. And he, he justifies the murder of Christ by saying, we'll have peace as a nation if we murder this man. And it says that he, he did this. He prophesied because God can use even a donkey to talk. But from that day, they plotted to put him to death. Verse 53. Therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. 
Now, there's belief and there's unbelief. There's a belief and then the rejection. Um, but there is another option that we see here. In verse 55, And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And what you see here is there's people still trying to do what only Christ can do. Now, the law required purity for Passover. I'm not judging these people harshly. They're following the law of God. That's fine. But after seeing what Christ can do to the dead, you must feel some pity for those who still think that they have a chance at purifying themselves. They, they want to be pure. But we just saw that Jesus conquers death. Now the world is changed. There is a man who is the Son of God now who defeats even the last enemy, death itself. Christ conquered the grave and they are, there are still people trying to dig themselves out. And while there's those who are just dead set against Christ, they want to kill him, they want to seize him, they send the order out and say, if Christ is here, get him. If Jesus is here, we, we we're going to get him and we're going to kill him. There's those who know he does miracles and they still don't want him to live. And then there's those who believe, who see the good things that Christ has done and respond in obedience. And, and yeah, there, there's these two camps but then there's also this huge group of people that didn't hear about Lazarus. There's this massive section of the populace that are still trying to purify themselves. And these are the ones that need to hear that Christ has conquered the grave. What we see in the entire chapter of 11 is, is a series of imperfect faiths. We see the disciples not really getting it in the first section. We see Mary and Martha not quite getting it in the next section. There's other side characters without names, just called the Jews, who say things like, well, he opened the eyes of the blind, but couldn't he keep this man from dying? And there's all these people that kind of get it, but not really. And then Christ shows himself to be supremely glorious and powerful, conquering death and raising the dead. And then we see that there's people that are still trying to purify themselves. Now, we want to be included. We see Christ invite people into his miracle. We see him invite people to his action. Not necessary, um, but very kind. You know, he invites Martha to participate. He invites these people to participate in rolling away the stone. He tells Lazarus, come forth. And he makes him walk himself out of the tomb. He tells the other people, loose him. Christ could have done it himself. Laz he could have forced Lazarus to do it, I guess, just cut himself out from the inside like a butterfly in a cocoon. But he includes other people in the work that he has. And at the end of this chapter, in seeing that there are those who are still trying to purify themselves before Passover, we, we have our invitation. We have this, this welcoming invitation to participate in the good things of God. If you will obey, if you will believe in a way that causes you to act out the, the Great Commission and the commands of Christ, then you will see the glory of God. If you believe that Jesus really said, go into all the world and make disciples, then you're going to act on that and you'll see the glory of God. 
If you believe that Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, oh, and don't stop there, love your enemies too. And you believe that he said that, and you believe it so much that you're going to respond in faith and obedience to that, then you will see the glory of God. And we believe that there are those who see Christ and believe. We, we believe that there are those against Christ who have rejected him or are continually rejecting him. And we believe that there are those who desire purity and are trying to do it in all the wrong ways. We, we see those that are trying to purify themselves and they are waiting for you to tell them that Christ has conquered the grave. If you believe that enough to obey, then you will see the glory of God. The glory of God is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's repeated in the resurrection of every other saint. You and I participate in the resurrection of Christ. We've been buried with baptism, and then we'll be raised to newness of life. But he's still inviting you to participate in this work of resurrection. He's inviting you to participate in his mission to save the world. You have a part to play in that. So give, give thanks, give glory to God for calling you out of the grave. And then give thanks that he's still inviting you to participate in his work. And say, Lord, send me. What, what stone do you want me to roll away? Who do you want me to, to unwrap and set loose? God, who, what person trying to purify themselves do you want me to encounter and, and, and tell them that Christ has conquered death? Let's pray. God, strengthen us in this. Increase our faith. And Lord God, we I just ask that that you having having raised the dead, having saved our souls, having uh, raised us to newness of life, having completely transferred us out of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of your love, that you would not leave us without the work to do that you've called us to do. That you wouldn't allow us, I guess, is what I'm asking. That you wouldn't allow us uh, to sit back, um, to not be involved in our Father's business. You have called us, continue to call us, continue to show us what ministries you have for us. Jesus, we love you, and thank you for raising us up. Continue to show your power, continue to increase our faith so that we can see the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen.